You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Hello, and welcome back to the Well-Fed Women podcast. I am your host, Noelle Tarr of coconutsandkettlebells.com. This is episode number 367, and in this episode, I decided to take on a topic that I am not at all comfortable with, and that is mast cell activation syndrome and histamine intolerance. Now, if those are two brand new ideas, terms for you, you are not alone. I have been putting off doing an interview about this because I felt like I just had no clue (laughs) where to even start. And I've been seeing this more and more, and I've always had it kind of as like a note in my head that I really wanted to understand this, understand what kind of people needed this information, and try to find a really like a good expert, somebody who is really like knows a lot about the syndrome and how to help specifically you all in symptoms and how to get a proper diagnosis and what to do if you have mast cell activation syndrome. And I found the person I'm going to be talking with, Beth O'Hara, today, which I'm really excited about. This is an interesting condition. It's one that often gets misdiagnosed for many other things because the symptoms are very just wide and varied. So you could have things like chronic rashes and hives and redness and swelling. You could have things like chronic diarrhea. You could have chronic fatigue, like horrible and constant joint pain, problems sleeping, anxiety, depression, and all of that has to do with dysregulation of the immune system. So as you'll learn today, mast cells are connected to inflammation and our body's processes when it comes to creating an inflammatory response. And an inflammation is great. It's a healing process for our bodies. But when our immune system is being constantly triggered and inflammation runs rampant through our bodies, that's when we can start to see a lot of negative symptoms. And some of those can be caused by mast cell activation syndrome. So I am here to ask all the dumb questions. Some people, this is a dumb question. Hey, I'll be that person. I will ask the questions. We'll get to the bottom of this. I hope this is helpful and insightful for people who are new to this, but also people who may be experiencing this personally. We're going to be talking about, you know, how to actually overcome these symptoms and what to do if you're in a flare and all the things. So I'm really excited to dive in. Before we do, Blue Blocks, which makes the best blue light blocking computer glasses and sleep plus glasses on the market, has just launched a line of anti-radiation earphones, a laptop mat, and harmonizing stickers. So these are high-quality EMF blocking products that block up to 99% of EMFs. So electromagnetic fields are invisible areas of energy, also known as radiation, that are produced by electricity, power lines, Wi-Fi, electronic devices. And while there needs... Definitely, I think more research needs to be done on EMFs. We're actually going to be talking about in this episode how EMFs can actually be triggering mast cell activation and how they play a role in that. 
and there is some some interesting research on that. So for me in particular, I've actually found that I can be very sensitive to EMFs in the home. So we started actually getting more and more blue tooth items in our home. We had these smart light bulbs and, you know, TV systems and just everything. And I started finding that I was having more headaches and major sleep issues. So we stopped using all Bluetooth light bulbs and appliances. I gave up my AirPods, which was very, very hard because I do feel like that got me through a lot of middle of the night feedings when I just had to force myself to stay up. I would play a podcast while I was nursing and rocking a crying baby. But the truth of the matter is it was really a detriment to my health. It was causing these chronic headaches and just brain fog and stuff like that. So for me, switching to these EMF blocking products has been super helpful, specifically the ear tubes. And I always have a laptop mat sitting under my computer. Uh, I have tried many EMF blocking products before, but Blue Blocks is by far the best in terms of quality and effectiveness. You don't want to know that it's different and you don't want to know that it's there. And that's what makes Blue Blocks so special. Um, I recommend everybody go get a laptop pad, go get those air tubes and harmonizing stickers for things like your phone and your microwave. It can really make a difference. So Blue Blocks, B-L-U-B-L-O-X dot com forward slash well-fed. That gets you 15% off. You can do one big order and order some Sleep Plus glasses and your laptop mat and all the things. Uh, Blue Blocks, B-L-U-B-L-O-X dot com forward slash well-fed. Our code well-fed will get you 15% off. So let's talk about Beth. Beth O'Hara is a functional naturopath specializing in complex chronic cases of mast cell activation syndrome, histamine intolerance, and mold toxicity. She's the founder and owner of Mast Cell 360, a functional naturopathy practice designed to look at all factors surrounding health conditions. So genetic, epigenetic, biochemical, physiological, environmental, and emotional. Through her mast cell 360 root cause process, she discovers the unique root factors affecting each of her clients' health issues, building personalized, effective roadmaps for healing. She holds a doctorate in functional naturopathy, a master's degree in marriage and family therapy, and a bachelor's degree in physiological psychology. Welcome, Beth. It's really exciting to be here with you, Noelle, and I'm super excited about sharing this information because... This is affecting between about 9 and 17% of the general population and over well over 50% of people with chronic health issues. And a lot of people have no idea. So this may be a game changer for a lot of your community. Wow. I did not know that that many people were struggling with this and maybe even potentially more because I know this is one of those things that a lot of times goes undiagnosed, undetected. Like you're mentioning before, practitioners don't know a lot about this. So I would love to know is you, from you. I think most people who do know about, about mast cell activation syndrome and histamine intolerance and all of that stuff seem to have their own story, their own personal experience after many years of not knowing what was going on. So how did mast cell activation syndrome ultimately get on your radar? And how did you get your diagnosis? Because I think a lot of people have this collective symptoms and doctors don't really know what it is. And they have a very hard time finding anybody to help them or to even get a proper diagnosis. That's right. It's on average about 10 years for people to figure out. Oh. And this condition, while it's being has been researched for decades, 
it just got a diagnostic code in 2016. So it, it, it hasn't even gotten into medical school education yet. But we do know a good bit about it and how to address it. The, the way I got into this was my own health history. And I had been had chronic health issues from a child. Nobody could figure out. I was on a lot of antihistamines that, that helped for a while, but that was the only thing we had. So over time, that actually made me worse since we weren't addressing those root causes of what was triggering it. And by the time I got to college, I was um, just severely fatigued. I couldn't get out of bed. I barely finished my bachelor's and I had been on a full track to uh, medical school. I wanted to be a neurologist and I had to turn the scholarships down and I just kept getting more and more ill. By the time I was in my late twenties, I was walking with a cane. By the time I got into my thirties, I was down to about 10 foods I could tolerate. Mm. And I lost my tolerance for supplements. I lost my tolerance for the medications that were helping there was a period of time I didn't know if I was going to make it, Noelle. I mean, I was pretty severe. Not everybody's as severe as I was. But when I figured out, one, I had histamine intolerance. So that was the first thing I figured out, and that really helped. But I still had so many symptoms. And then information started coming out about mast cell activation syndrome, even before it got this official diagnostic code. And that was a game changer because as soon as I looked at it, I said, oh, my gosh, now my life makes sense and I know I'm not crazy because I, I had felt crazy and I even had practitioners. I'd seen over 75 practitioners trying to figure this out. And some people just said, you're the most complex case I've ever seen. I don't know what to do. I'm so sorry. And other people who felt overwhelmed or intimidated and they weren't great practitioners told me I was, it was in my head that I was making all of this up. And that was pretty demoralizing. But once we figured that out, then I had to go to, well, what's causing all this dysregulation? What's triggering this? And that's another piece I want to make sure we touch on while we're talking today. Yeah, that's devastating to be told that what you're experiencing is in your head, because not only now are you not able to even barely function and get out of bed when you should be young and healthy and, and you know, taking on everything and not really feeling the pain of it. Right. That's when we're, we're supposed to be the most resilient. Uh, you're also now being told it's not a real thing or it's in your head and you and you need to figure out what's going on with you mentally and emotionally. How, how are you able to keep going in those scenarios? Because I think a lot of people would have just crumbled and given up. That's a great question. And I wish this wasn't a common experience, but it's quite common. And I hear it every week in my practice. People come in and tell me they've had the same experience you know, I'll, um, one of the things I can share is that even though I did start to wonder if I was crazy and I, I did 10 years of therapy and, and it helped with my emotional health and my emotional strength, but it didn't get rid of my sensitivities or my symptoms or the severe joint pain or any of that. Um, I just knew there was always something in my core that knew there was a way to unlock it. And I didn't know how or who would have the keys or how I would find the keys. And eventually I had to lean back on my pre-med training. And every moment that my brain worked, I dug into this and studied and learned and started getting myself better. 
the the good news, and I'll go to uh, I'll go to the the spoiler at the end of the story, is that I did get my health back, and I got it back so dramatically that I got to go back to graduate school, and I got a I I went ahead and got a master's in marriage and family therapy, and then the doctorate in naturopathy, because there is a big emotional stress nervous system component. I wanted to understand that more. But I, I got it back, my health back, so that I could do graduate school, so I could could build this practice. And I don't see myself as an ill person anymore, even though I have to work on my health. I can go hiking, and I, I work full-time here at MassL360. And the good news for people struggling with these things is that there are practitioners now that have a handle on it. And you're not out there alone like I was 15, 20 years ago. You, you can get answers and get better. And we have a lot of good information about how to help people do that now. Yeah, I know it, it feels like a lot, but like people who've gone through really tough situations like yourself have paved the way for people to actually get help and get better faster. So exactly. it's, and it doesn't, your, your time didn't go to waste, you know? Exactly. And that's kind of, you know, that was also part and still is part of my healing journey from it because it's traumatic to be that ill for that long Mm -hmm. and anybody dealing with chronic illness can relate to that but if I can take these nightmares that I went through and use it to help other people and if I can help other people get back to living their mission then they can help other people and and that just keeps fueling me to Mm -hmm. do this work And I I think it'll fuel people. Oh, I know it does. I see it every day. People who are struggling, they get their health back and then they want to pay it forward too. Yeah. So let's get down to basics to figure out what the heck is is actually mast cell activation syndrome. My first question is, what are mast cells and how do they get activated? Yes. So mast cells are... I think of them as our frontline sensing and defending cells of the immune system. They are in nearly every single tissue in the body, and in particularly in high levels where the body meets the outside world. So you can think about the skin, the GI tract, um, the, the tissues around the eyes and the sinuses, and in the lungs, they're going to be even in the blood vessels, they're detecting everything that goes through the bloodstream. They're in the bladder, they're in the spleen, they're in uh, the brain, and they are detecting every molecule of air, food, anything that we put in our bodies, anything that we breathe, anything that we touch. They're even sensing for things like vibration, heat and cold, and their job is to keep us safe. So they getting activated, mast cells getting activated, the way this happens is they have all of these receptors on the outside, there's over 200 that have been found so far. They're one of the most complex cells in the body. And those receptors are, again, sensing this this food molecule, or they're sensing pathogens like bacteria, viruses, candida, mold. And then based on what's touching and triggering those receptors, they're going to release these different mediators within them. And histamine's the most well-known. There's a whole category called cytokines, and that's become a household name now. 
mast cells are one of the major cells that produce those, and over a thousand different types of mediators, which makes them very flexible as well. So if we just make this a real simple example, easy to relate to, is that somebody, you know, working outside in your garden, you cut your finger, you're busy, you don't get it cleaned out, and then come that evening, your finger's starting to get red and swollen because there's too much bacteria in there. So that redness and that swelling, that heat will be often, uh, the mast cells are a big part of that. So they're triggering inflammation to surround that bacteria, get it out of your body, and then they're signaling to other immune cells to come in and do more cleanup. So that's an example of how they work. So that's a good process. You want that. They're part of the healing process. So if you injure yourself and you get some redness and swelling, you twist your ankle, mm -hmm. mast cells are on the scene helping to stimulate that healing response. What has happened is over the last, if we maybe think last 50 years, we have had increasingly higher levels of toxin exposures, increasingly higher levels of EMF exposures, and mast cells also, research has shown they do respond to EMFs from all of our wireless devices and our Wi-Fi routers and these things, and higher and higher levels of mold exposure. So instead of getting to do their normal job where they'd be activated and then they get a break, activated and get a break, it's like they're getting pummeled nonstop. And a metaphor I really like is if the mast cells are the guards of the castle gate and the castle gates are bodies, then if you have guards of your castle gate, you want them to be able to do a six or eight hour shift and go take a break. And their job is to make sure, oh, this is the person bringing vegetables in. Vegetables are safe. Let them in. Oh, that person is coming in and wanting to do harm. We're going to keep them out. But if just like a human being, if they had to be on duty 24-7 for weeks and months and years on end, can't function properly anymore. And it's the same at this um, cellular level with the mast cells. They're having to be on guard, on duty, 24-7, months and years on end, constantly responding, and that's where they start to get dysregulated. So when they get dysregulated, they're going to be oversensitive and over-responsive, and so they're releasing more inflammatory mediators, and that's one of their big roles is inflammation, and so you get that inflammation building in the body. So can you, this may be an ignorant question, but it would, would it be safe to say that mast cells are equivalent to or can cause that chronic inflammation? Like, are the two related or are they the same thing? Yeah, that's a perfect question. If there's inflammation in the body, the mast cells are involved. Okay. Um, mast cells both produce inflammation and they're triggered by inflammation and they can trigger each other. So you can get this localized inflammation. And then if you have these dysregulated mast cells, it'll just start triggering out like a snowball effect. So that's a perfect question. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting about them is that so because there are all these different mast cells in the body and what what mast cells are getting affected. So some mast cells in the body can be more sensitive in certain places than other areas. And this is why you can have such a huge variety of symptoms. So, and, and also what's made this so confusing for both people dealing with it and practitioners trying to figure it out, because it's not like 
type 2 diabetes where, okay, you have this list of symptoms. This is what you're looking for. Here are these associated blood markers. It's very concrete and it's easy, easier to pin down. The mast cells are much more widely involved in our body. So if somebody has skin involvement, they're going to get itching, rashes, eczema, perhaps psoriasis, these kinds of things. Might get hives, flushing. But some people don't have any skin involvement at all. Their skin mast cells are fine. It might be their GI tract. So they might get heartburn. They might get acid reflux, diarrhea, constipation, abdominal pain. And if somebody has mast cell involvement in the nervous system, in the brain, you're going to see things like anxiety, depression, sleep issues. And then the nervous system signals to things like your heart rate. So there's a connection with heart palpitations. You can get high or low blood pressure with this. People can have uh, mast cell issues in the lungs, and then they're going to have chest tightness in the lungs, trouble, um, you know, asthma kind of symptoms, a little more trouble breathing. And we can just kind of keep going down the list. People can have involvement in the liver, and the liver enzymes can go up to the spleen, and they can get upper left quadrant pain in the abdomen. So what's happened is that you have this whole wide variety of symptoms and practitioners are getting confused and people end up, instead of seeing these as linked, somebody ends up at a gastroenterologist, they end up in an ENT because they're having all this drainage and sinus issues, sinus swelling. And then they're having all these sleep issues. So they maybe they end up with a, an anxiety. So they're at a psychiatrist or somebody's trying to fix their sleep. And it's not uncommon for people to have five or six specialists. But you need somebody to look at how this is all tied in together. And the mast cells are how that's tied in. And one of the unfortunate things that's happened is in this evolution of understanding mast cell activation syndrome, what is taught in medical schools are about the rare mast cell conditions. And a lot of practitioners were taught that people can't have mast cell issues if they don't have itching or hives or skin symptoms. And that's just not true. What you're looking for is these kinds of symptoms in two or more systems in the body. Uh, even like the bladder, people can get this interstitial cystitis pain, urinary burning, and urgency. So you can, you can see those kinds of things. They're in high concentrations even in the genitals. So a lot of women will experience things like vaginal pain or vaginal burning, vulvodynia. So interesting. So you named a lot of symptoms. Um, is there, are there any, <laughs> this is, of course, I'm trying to make it simple and it's just not, but are there any specific symptoms that is like, yes, that's mast cell activation syndrome, or if somebody's having a collection of these five symptoms, like definitely that's what it is. If like people come to you in their practice and they're telling you all these symptoms, are you able to say yes, it is or yes, it isn't? And how does one get diagnosed? Like me, many of you are in need of a pick-me-up, but if you're working on balancing hormones or you're in a really stressful time or you have been struggling with adrenal fatigue, also known as HPA axis issues, caffeine, if you're turning to caffeine, it can really stress out your body and make everything worse. Personally for me, and what I've done in the last year, I have replaced caffeine with adaptogens, specifically one called 
cordyceps because it's well known to improve energy and focus and stamina. And it does so without screwing up your cortisol levels. And it can actually help to improve stress by replenishing the adrenals and balancing cortisol levels. And the way that I do that is with a little thing called red juice from Organifi. So while Organifi makes a lot of different adaptogen blends, which I have been using, their red juice is specifically designed for energy support. It helps with focus, and I drink it mid-morning, sort of when you start to have that slump and you need a little pick-me-up. It's a red berry antioxidant blend. It has a potent blend of adaptogens, including cordyceps, rhodiola, and reishi. It tastes so good. It, like, that's... Probably one of my favorite things about it is that it tastes really good. So I enjoy having that. I look forward to it midday. I have totally fallen in love with Organifi and all the adaptogen blends that they make. I love adaptogens now. It's been so fun to just experiment with them. Some are great in the morning. Some are great in the evening. All of their superfood blends are 100% certified organic. They contain high-quality ingredients. They're free of fillers, and they taste really good. Uh, And they also have the clinical doses of adaptogens. So they have a variety of drinks. I like, again, red juice or green juice in the morning. I also think you should try their chocolate drink at night. We've been drinking that at night. It kind of tastes like hot cocoa, but it it's just a blend of reishi, which is really relaxing. Support your body, energy, and immunity with Organifi. Organifi takes pride in offering the best tasting superfood products on the market at a price that works out to less than $3 a day. You can experience Organifi's high-quality superfoods without breaking the bank, which is really important to me too. Go to Organifi.com slash WellFed. Our code WellFed will get you 20% off your order. That's a huge discount. Again, it's Organifi, so O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com forward slash well fed use our code well fed for 20 percent off one you've got to again look at what kind of symptom involvement it is and there will be at least two systems involved so it might be gi symptoms in the brain at least sleep issues anxiety and problems with the heartburn and diarrhea for example or problems with chest closing chest tightness or I've had people with throat closing when they were trying to eat or they were exposed to perfume, for example, or paint or something like that. What the diagnostic criteria is, and this is still an evolution, so there are some, some problems with this diagnostic criteria. They're still being sorted out. But let me start with the basic diagnostic criteria, and then I'll talk about the concerns. Uh, we talked about symptoms in two or more systems. That's the easy one. The second one is According to the criteria, there has to be an elevation in a mast cell mediator that can be tested for. So this will be histamine, prostaglandins, tryptase is being tested, but it's not elevated. It's almost never elevated mast cell activation syndrome, but unfortunately it's being used and probably shouldn't be. Um, It should be used to rule out some of these other rare genetic conditions. And then... um, So there's just a handful of those. So the criteria says you have to have an elevation, one of those mediators. And the third part of the criteria is that there has to be a positive response in symptoms. So a symptom improvement with antihistamines or mast cell stabilizing medications. 
what we found is that that criteria is only catching about 10% of people who clearly have mast cell issues and mast cell activation syndrome. So the one problem is that with these mediator testing, like the histamine testing, the prostaglandins and so on, those mediators are up and down in the bloodstream within minutes. And not everybody has involvement in their veins and their arteries. So if your issue is not in the cardiovascular system, highly unlikely you're going to get these mediators in the bloodstream because they might be in the muscles and triggering muscle pain. They might be in the lungs where they're not being measured. They're in the GI tract. The other problem with that is these mediators are very challenging to test accurately. They need to use a cold centrifuge for most of the methods, and most labs don't even have that capability. So there are practitioners who do do diagnosis, and they're trying to get this diagnostic code for insurance purposes so people can get coverage under insurance. And they are having people trigger a flare, which is, you know, concerning. They're doing the best they can do, but that flare can go on for weeks for somebody. So they're having them eat things they know are flare, expose themselves to chemicals they know will flare them, and then test them every hour on the hour with hopes of catching one of those mediators. So that tells us that that still needs some evolution. And then the other part of this criteria, the response to mast cell medication or an antihistamine is that other than cromel and sodium, all of our medications as they're formulated have some kind of mast cell trigger in the inactive ingredients. They have dyes, they have titanium dioxide, they have talc, and you don't know if somebody is not having a positive response because that they don't have mast cell activation syndrome or is it because that medication isn't working on one of the 200 receptors and you're not testing the right medications? Or is it that they're reacting to one of the, the inactive ingredients they're triggering? So if that talc wasn't in there, dye wasn't in there, maybe it'd be okay. And then there's over a thousand mediators. So we can only test a handful of them. What if those are the ones that aren't the problem for this particular person? So that's what's happening here. The big thing with mast cell activation is if there's chronic inflammation in the body, there's a mast cell involvement, and why are the mast cells so dysregulated? So that's what we have to not forget is what is going on there. Hmm. So what do you, like if somebody, what would you say if somebody's experiencing a wide variety of symptoms, are there specific symptoms that for somebody to be able to say, okay, I think this is like something I'm dealing with, um, is there a way that they can say, okay, I think that this is mast cell activation syndrome? Because you said you looked at like a list of symptoms, right? And you said, this is me. What kind of things were the signs for you just to like help people self-diagnose and, and say, okay, this is what I'm dealing with? Because I think we have a lot of confused people who have autoimmune conditions and digestive issues and they've been told, oh, well, this is colitis or this is... Um, Chronic fatigue. You know, we have these other diagnoses or diagnoses that are quite possibly, and I think you would probably agree, you know, mast cell activation symptom, but syndrome, but they've gotten a diagnosis that is something else from conventional medicine. So, how is there, a, how would somebody be able to say, okay, this isn't chronic fatigue, this is actually mast cell activation syndrome? 
I would say, first of all, it's, it's really both. So mm-hmm. if somebody's dealing with chronic fatigue and they're dealing with some autoimmunity, one, every form of autoimmunity that's been studied has been linked. Every, every piece of research I've read on autoimmunity and mast cells, autoimmunity has been linked with mast cell activation syndrome. So whether we're talking about lupus, we're talking about Hashimoto's, we're talking about rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis, all kinds of these different autoimmunity. And that's because these mast cells are also at the center of this communication of these different systems in, in the immune systems in the body. So the more mast cell activation you get, the more likely you're going to get dysregulation that TH17 autoimmunity side. Mm-hmm. It's been linked with autism. It's been linked with Ehlers-Danlos, what's called POTS, which is an issue with blood pressure jumping up and down, with Crohn's, um, even with certain cancers, with fibromyalgia, with chronic fatigue. What Probably what would help most, because I know this is, is challenging for people to think about, is for me to give a couple different presentations that we see that are really common. So, and I'll start with mine. So I had a fairly significant case to where I had lots of food sensitivities. So we're thinking about sensitivities, foods, chemicals, issues with medications or dyes, those kinds of things. A lot of GI symptoms. I had chronic diarrhea. I had um, stomach burning. Anytime I ate, I'd get acid reflux, didn't matter what I ate. And then severe muscle and joint pain, severe insomnia, anxiety, um, panic attacks. And I also had the urinary tract infections or, or urinary tract symptoms that felt like an infection, but there wasn't an infection there. So I'd have pain with urination. It's kind of urgency. It was like a zing in my urethra. Like I had to go to the bathroom right now. And if anybody's had that, they know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then really painful periods. So those were really common for me. And if I got exposed to a chemical, I would feel like I couldn't breathe. I see a lot of people with this combination of heart palpitations, um, the POTS, the blood pressure drops up and down, the just overall being exhausted and just general feeling poorly overall is really common. Uh, pain is really common in, in different areas of the body. Not like pain, like I injured my shoulder, but that fibromyalgia pain or joint pain that's everywhere. And the the sensitivities are, again, another, another piece of it. But probably the easiest thing to do is to do that symptom survey and to see um, how many symptoms people show up with. I mean, even we're looking at is there, are there issues with the gums? Like you can get inflammation in the gums and they're triggering dental issues, things like that. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> so let me, here's another way I can boil it down for you. Yeah. There's a lot going on in the body. Nobody can figure it out. It's not making sense. <laughs> but there's clearly chronic things going on in more than one place in the body. Got it. You just bring, I'm like, a lot of light bulbs are going off for me. I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, that is, it's a lot, you know, a lot of random things that pop up, but you either kind of write it off or it's just another thing, right? That we accept and we move, we deal with and we move on. Um, so I, I wonder what are, 
what are what's the trigger for mast cell activation syndrome? You talked about EMFs, you talked about mold, but what are those root causes or what's the difference between somebody who isn't dealing with mast cell activation syndrome and somebody who is? His triggers that I see again and again in my practice are mold toxicity, absolutely number one. And this is way more common than is people have any clue about. Mold toxicity has just become epidemic. And we're getting exposed to molds in our homes because our humidity levels are higher in our homes with the changes in the building codes in the 1970s and then again um, around the year 2000. Schools, lots of mold in schools and workplaces, in particularly areas that have higher humidity, the coastal areas, I get a lot of people from there, Florida, all along the Gulf Coast, Texas, those hurricane areas or hotbeds. California is a big hotbed for mold toxicity. And the only places I've seen where people haven't, with chronic illness, who haven't had mold in their home, this is over hundreds and hundreds of cases, has actually been the desert area. So we're seeing it in Illinois, we're seeing it in Montana, we see it all over the country because of the humidity in in the buildings. And then EMFs are actually triggering more mold growth. So that's being observed. The EMFs in the home are, we think what's happening is registered as a threat to the mold. So it's growing faster and it's putting off mold toxin, more toxins. So that's a big piece. Then that mold disrupts people's immune system so much is a huge muscle trigger. And as the immune system's getting disrupted, you can't fight off viruses or bacteria well anymore. So this is where people start developing things like the tick-borne infections, and they can't kill off Lyme anymore in their bodies. They get SIBO. They get um, they might get parasites and not be able to get rid of those parasites, Epstein-Barr, parvovirus. So all these different things start to build up. And the more pathogens you have in your body that you can't get rid of, the more the mast cells are getting triggered from that as well. Mm. So you get this, again, the snowball effect happening. The other big trigger for people have been the chemical toxins. And it's amazing what's in our tap water. I have people check their tap water. And it's also amazing how many chemicals are getting past even some of what we think of as really good water filters. And I have people who have what they think are great water filters, and then I'm checking their bodies for waterborne chemical toxins. And they have things like perchlorates building up, and they have um, other things that can build up in the water source, um, source like MBTE. And so all of these kind of come together. And where so where to go with this is what's the starting point? What I find for people is once we get into things like these mold toxin layers, these chronic infection layers, especially Lyme, there's a lot of nervous system dysregulation with that. Trauma is another major trigger, trauma and stress. And about 60% of the people that I work with have had early traumas in their life or they had a traumatic event and it was like that was the straw that broke the camel's back. To take this to another layer, what's really happening in our body is something called cell danger response. 
And cell danger response is when our bodies get overwhelmed with levels of toxins, pathogens, and stressors, which can be emotional, they can be injuries, it could be surgeries, and it crosses a threshold we can't keep up anymore with. Once we hit that, then it's like the, the, the camel's back is broken, we, our bodies aren't functioning normally anymore, and all these biochemical changes start happening as a survival mechanism. So the mast cells dial up their inflammation significantly to help us. We stop producing as much vitamin D. We start holding on to heavy metals to keep them away from pathogens. So the reason I'm connecting this, methylation, people talk about methylation a lot. Methylation mm -hmm. really starts to get dysregulated. I'm connecting this because a lot of people, and, and I did this all along my journey. It was like, oh, it's methylation. If I fix my methylation, I'm going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And then I couldn't fix the methylation. Oh, if I get my vitamin D up, I'll be okay. And it helped a little, but it didn't really fix anything. Oh, if I get the recibo, I'll be okay. And then I, multiple rounds of what I could tolerate, I couldn't get rid of the SIBO. And then I couldn't tolerate the Lyme treatments. And we have to look at all of this in the really big picture of how it's all fitting together. So the, there's a reason the mast cells are dysregulated. It's not that they're misbehaving or, and, and they get a bad rap sometimes online. People talk about where you just have to knock out this mast cell response. Well, if you have a lot of pathogens, you don't want to knock out your mast cell response if you're not moving towards getting rid of mold growing in your body or Lyme or so on, because those mast cells are part of what's keeping that at bay. And that's like I alluded to in the very beginning, only doing these antihistamines made me worse over time because it knocked out my mast cell response. And we didn't know anything about mold toxicity. We didn't know anything about Lyme. And I had um, significant amounts of these. So we weren't addressing it and then it just knocked out my body's immune defense entirely. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely a role for antihistamines in these medications, but we've got to go again to how does all this fit together? What are the patterns here? And then how do we start working somebody through being able to recover? And really what we're doing is getting them out of what's called cell danger response and calming their bodies down so that and, and getting rid of these toxin levels, getting rid of these pathogen loads so that they can get back under that threshold where the biochemistry can come back to where it can function properly again. Do people and correct me if I'm wrong, mast cells produce histamine, correct? That's right. That's the best known mast cell mediator. OK, so if mast cells are activated and dysregulated likely you're going to see a lot of histamine, which then can create this histamine intolerance. So if somebody is taking antihistamines and gets better with that, um, do is it typically because of mast cell activation syndrome? Yeah, it's a great question. Let me pull back a little on histamine intolerance. So histamine intolerance is related to mast cell activation syndrome this is where our bodies have more histamine than we can break down. And there are different enzymes that our body uses to break down histamine. So our mast cells can be making histamine. There are two other cells, eosinophils and basophils, that make histamine. And they could be triggered in making histamine. Could also have somebody who doesn't have mast cell activation issues. They're not overproducing histamine, 
but they're eating way more histamine and their enzymes can't keep up with it. Those, and we're not talking digestive enzymes. There's over 10,000 enzymes our bodies make. So we're talking about things like DAO and another one called HNMT. And there's some less well-known ones. So if you're somebody who doesn't produce enough of those, either from genetic um, predispositions or you don't have enough of the cofactors, nutrient cofactors, or so on, if you have gut inflammation, you can't make enough DAO. And then you eat a whole bunch of strawberries and pineapple and you have some champagne and you've had some seafood and you, you, know, you had some uh, hot dogs and things like this that are high histamine, then you might get those symptoms. They're not as severe as mast cell activation syndrome, but they can look like it because they can trigger some of the mast cells. And you can get flushing and anxiety and trouble with sleep and acid reflux and diarrhea and these kinds of things. It's just not going to be at the intensity of the mast cell activation syndrome. And people will usually respond pretty well to going to a low histamine diet. And they start to get improvements there. They might respond to antihistamines um, or it, they may not need the antihistamines. It may be more they need those enzyme side, the DAO and so on. But not everybody with mast cell activation syndrome has trouble with histamine. There are people that with mass activation syndrome, those histamine foods don't bother them. I don't see a whole lot of them. Um, it might be about 15% of my practice. So I generally have people start by trialing a low histamine diet for about six weeks. And I tell everybody, if you're going to do a, a food avoidance, you're going to take histamines out, make sure you're putting other nutrient-dense foods in so you're not just whittling your foods down because that gets people in trouble. And then if they're starting to see some improvement with it, um, they can stay with it. If they're not sure, then they can add in a good amount of histamine foods over a day or two and see if they flare. And if they do, then low histamine might be better for them. Some people notice absolutely no difference at all, people who have mast cell. Um, it's just not as common. It's more likely somebody's going to, with mast cell activation syndrome, going to have some histamine intolerance as well. So interesting. Okay, so what are, <laughs> this is a big question, but what are the key factors when it comes to healing, you know, all the symptoms? Because I'm sure people have been chasing the symptoms for a very long time. But now, you know, if you know, okay, my root cause here is mast cell activation syndrome, how how do people heal from that? Like, it seems like there's a lot going on. So what are the, the main priorities kind of based on what's at your root cause? Yes, I love this question. How do we how do we get out of this mess? And even though the way that I work with every person is very individualized, there's some very big picture keys that are the same. The first is I have people work on actually calming their nervous system. And the reason is because there are mast cells at every nerve ending, and the mast cells have neurotransmitter receptors. And then what's so cool is that the nerve endings also have receptors for mast cell mediators. So there's a continual conversation back and forth, and the mast cells are the interface between the nervous system and the whole rest of the body. So it's like your nervous system has some signaling, and your mast cells are telling the rest of your body what the nervous system said. And then the nervous system will report back what's happening. So a great entry point is to work on 
two specific ways of rebooting the nervous system. And I have yet to have anybody come in with chronic illness that didn't have some nervous system dysregulation. So you can see that in people with um, sensitivities. There's a role with muscles and the nervous system. Sleep issues both involve people have heart palpitations or they startle easily. You know, somebody stand behind you and like calls out your name and you didn't realize they were there and you jump. That's startling easily. So we have to reboot what's called the vagal nerve and the limbic system. The limbic system is a very primitive part of our brain that's involved in monitoring for safety. So similar to the muscles, but on the nervous system side, monitoring for danger and controls fear and emotion. And there are specific ways you can reboot that with great programs like Ashok Gupta has the Gupta program, Annie Hopper has DNRS, and it's about taking our whatever habitual state is and shifting it to a place of feeling deeply safe and calm. Very few people experience that on a day-to-day basis, and anyone with chronic illness doesn't feel safe in their bodies. So we've got to rewire that to feeling safe and calm in our bodies. Then we have this vagal nerve, which really is a vagal nerve system. It's the biggest nerve complex in the body, comes out from the very top of the neck, has branches around to the face, and then to the ears and to every organ in our torso. So the thyroid, the heart, the lungs, the whole GI tract, big involvement in motility. Then it's connected to the bladder. And we there's lots of ways to work with that vagal nerve signaling. If we calm that signaling down from these major pieces of the nervous system, the mast cells will start to calm down already. So that's a key piece. The next key piece, I have people start checking for toxins in their home. And even my house, I'm so careful, but we had some higher levels of VOCs than I would have liked. So we had to do some work on that. Checking for mold in the home checking for toxins in the water. So we look at that, we make sure people are getting their toxin load down. Um, it's not the first thing I have people do, but I like them to check their cleaning products, check their skincare products, all of that. We, If there's places to clean up the diet, we clean up the diet. We start working on lots of supplements that help calm the mast cells. And I've got three favorite starting points for people. One is super simple. It's just baking soda. Baking soda helps modulate mast cell inflammation from the bicarbonates. And so if somebody has low blood pressure, baking soda usually helps a lot because it has sodium as well. Somebody has high blood pressure, that's not the best. They might have to use what's called potassium bicarbonate. So if you're going to do that, use small amounts and work with a healthcare practitioner if you have high blood pressure. Then another one I love is actually called Perilla Seed Extract. It's not well known, and there's only a couple companies that make that product. Um, But Perilla Seed Extract has a great impact on calming mast cells. And one of my other favorites is called Bakelin, and this is a Chinese skullcap extract, also very good at calming mast cells. And we bring on a number of different agents based on somebody's sensitivity. So I tend to work with people who are super sensitive and they might do great with the baking soda and the paramine, but maybe the bakelin was a little too much for them. They might not respond well or they may respond great. So based on how they do with those, start making 
recommendations for a few others. And people usually end up taking about anywhere from six to eight different supplements that help calm the mast cells. The more severe the symptoms and the more widespread the symptoms, the more different agents they may need. Because again, we've got over 200 receptors and every agent's only going to have an effect on a handful of those. So we're trying to cover as many of our bases with these mast cells and address as many of the mediators that we can. All along that time frame, I'm having people test their bodies for mold toxins. And I can tell you over 600 clients, 99% of them have had mold toxins that had chronic illness. Now, I'm not saying everybody has mold toxicity, but people with chronic illness, it's one of the big, big missing pieces. So then we'll start gently starting to detox that. And gentle is the key phrase. Most people are over detoxing and they're being way too aggressive. And if we mm. over detox or we're pushing the detox pathways and dumping more toxins in the bloodstream, then we can get out of the body, then we can excrete, you're going to end up in a toxic state. So this whole thing that's been happening where people are told just to push through these detox reactions can trigger significant mass cell flaring that can go on for months. I'm not a fan of that, particularly for sensitive people. And that those kinds of symptoms are really your body responding to this is way too much. So you've got to stand under that threshold of these increases in symptoms. So I want to calm people's bodies down so that as they're detoxing, they can handle that and it can be smooth for them. Then if once you get the mold out, that's when people go on and deal with if they've got SIBO or even if they have Lyme. And about 30 to 40 percent of people, if they get rid of mold, they clear Lyme on their own. A lot of times they'll clear SIBO on their own. And if they don't, usually just need about one round, maybe two, to get rid of the SIBO at that point, because your body's coming back to balance. It's coming back to normal. And our bodies have this amazing ability to heal once we get the wrecking ball that keeps hitting us out of the way. So that's the big key, is to get these big pieces out of the way so the body can start healing. Wow, so many interesting things, especially about detoxes, because that is so popular. And so many people think, well, if I have all of these toxins stored in my body, I need to do this really harsh detox where I'm only taking this supplement and I'm, you know, avoiding all of these foods and where I'm doing all this like really harsh, what you explained so incredibly well, which is you're literally freeing up all of these toxins inside of your body. And if you're not properly excreting them, you can actually cause more problems. And the unfortunate thing is so many people are promoting those now, especially detox drinks or programs or whatever, and they're not doing it with a practitioner. So I really appreciate you saying that. That's exactly right. And I just want to add in here while we're talking about this, that if somebody is really chronically ill, we need to hold off on metal detox until people get stronger and they get oh they get beyond mold toxicity in some of these earlier stages. And this is what the brilliance of this cell danger response that was brought to us by the researcher Robert Navio. And we, we need to get this out more about what that cell danger response is doing. These metals are intentionally being stored in the tissue. So people there's a reason people have these elevated metal levels and it's because the body's keeping them away from the pathogens. So you start pulling them out 
you have twofold problems. One is that you're going to expose these metals and allow these pathogens to start using the metals to replicate more. So you want to be clearing your immune system up and clearing these pathogens before you go there. And two, it's the harshest thing to detox. So if you already have a really inflamed system that's over overly toxic, you don't want to be pulling that into the toxic soup. You got to empty out, you got to drain out some of the toxins before you can put more into the bloodstream. So you mentioned cytokines and the cytokine storm has sort of been a big player in COVID considerations and chatter. Everybody's kind of been talking about it. Um, Is there a connection between COVID and mast cell activation syndrome? Does have have you seen anything just to kind of tie it in with what we're seeing um, in our more like modern climate? Is mass cell activation connected at all to COVID or, or how are you seeing people cope who do have mass cell activation syndrome? It's definitely connected. So the mast cells are one of the primary producers of cytokines or other cells that make them as well. And what's happening in COVID is that in some people, this cytokine mechanism, and there are First of all, we have to say there are inflammatory and anti-inflammatory cytokines. There's tons of types of cytokines, but we're talking about the inflammatory cytokines here. And people, in some people, they're not getting that mechanism calmed back down. It's like this snowball effect I referred to before. It has been described clearly in the research. There's a link between COVID and the cytokine storms and long haulers and mass activation syndrome. And I've had a number of people who came in for help after they had, they didn't have mass activation beforehand. And then after they developed COVID and they developed long haulers, they had mass activation at that point. What I have seen, we've had a lot of our client population develop COVID and and I, I do all consulting, so I have to say that. I'm a consultant. I don't treat disorders and I don't diagnose, so just on this legal side. But I make a lot of recommendations for people. And for people who were already doing these mast cell supporting supplements, different kinds of agents, for people who had been taking an H1 antihistamine and like Pepsid, which is an actually an H2 antihistamine, it's a different type of antihistamine, they had much better outcomes. And the other interesting thing is that people who have had chronic inflammation with mass activation, they've been dealing with mold toxicity in Lyme, don't seem to be getting complications. And we don't understand why yet. It seems to be either people have those major risk factors that are known about, like they're over 65, they have uh, uncontrolled high blood pressure, high blood sugar, or they're smokers, they have a history of clotting coagulation, there's there's those issues that have been seen, or people that have not really been sick before. So those are the people who've been 35, they were marathon runners. And uh, we've only had one person who was hospitalized out of our entire population, which is quite good. And I think it's a combination of there's something protective about having had these inflammatory issues and mechanisms for shutting down cytokines already. And being on a lot of mast cell supports, we're seeing seem to be uh, effective. And a lot of the studies are coming out 
with the relationship between certain nutrients and outcomes, those nutrients are mast cell calming. Zinc is mast cell supportive, uh, melatonin, vitamin D, a lot of these things really help those mast cells. And quercetin too. I've been seeing a lot of talk about that. I've been taking that actually a little bit more when I get a virus and it seems to really help because from what I can understand, it does help. Um, I don't, you can tell me. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly right. Quercetin is a really great mast cell support. It's not my, my first one out of the gate because again, my population is so sensitive uh, that I usually get them to try these other ones first and then see how they do. And then we can go to the quercetin. But quercetin has an action for a lot of different mast cell mediators and, and receptors. And it's one of my favorite mast cell supporting supplements. Very cool. Okay, so I have one question from the community that we didn't necessarily get to before we, because we're getting to the end of our time. You did answer everybody's questions except this one, which I think is pretty valuable. So this is from Lexi. She says, how do you support your body during a mast cell activation flare? Yes, you use the agents that are working for you. And I, I create a flare plan for my clients. So we go, okay, if you're able to do one capsule of perilacid extract 30 minutes before meals, you can add one additional. If you tolerate baking soda and that's appropriate for you with your blood pressure status, you might add a third time of the day. You start bumping things that are supportive. Another thing that can help, even just the act of digesting produces histamine, if, if, even if they're low histamine foods. So going to, uh, I think about pureed foods, smoothies, eating low histamine, and then lots of sleep, nervous system support. So doing more, if you can um, do, there's a great vagal nerve program called Brain Tap. It's a really cool one. Uh, anything like that alternate nostril breathing, stay out of stress, be very calm, get um, things off of your plate that are stressful. Just say no, say no to 80% of things that you're asked to do and take really good care of your body. Get into that place emotionally, mentally, but also with this nervous system signaling where you feel deeply safe in your body. And it's that multiple facet approach that can really help people. I love that. Thank you, Beth. I, I know that this is an incredibly complex topic and you really were able to break it down in a way that I understood. So that was helpful. So I know it's going to be helpful for my community. Um, what are you working on and how can people either work with you or find more about what you're doing? Well, first, thank you so much. If we can help more people with this information, it's wonderful. And um, I have been working on, I have put together some courses for people to help break this down for them. And I've put them in the order of exactly what we do in the practice so people can do all the prep steps on their own. They can work through the nervous system pieces, and that's called the Mass Cell Nervous System Reboot, helps them customize their own roadmap through all the variety of options out there. We have the top eight mast cell supporting supplements class. And then I did a a class called the MC360 um, mold detox master class. And that's how to do this kind of gentle detox. A lot of that, about 80% of people can get themselves well on their own using those three courses. And then we have tons of free resources on our website over at mastcell360.com. And we have weekly Facebook lives 
if people want to find us on Facebook. Lots of free info there. Awesome. Thank you, Beth. Thank you so much for being here and for answering all of our questions. Thank you. All right. For more uh, from Beth, we'll link to the uh, thing she mentioned in the show notes. It's mastcell360.com. For more from me, you can go to coconutsandkettleballs.com. Thanks so much for being here, guys. We will talk to you next week. 